Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. You know, your, your life and your faith is always affected by your attitude, right? So it's your glass is either half empty or half full, and that's up to you. So if you declare it over your life, declare over your life this morning, it's a beautiful day in my neighborhood. Amen? Your perception changes. You start seeing things in a different way. Amen? So that's a good way to start everything. God taught me a long time ago that whatever I do, do it from a position of strength. I mean, I I could roll into service and say, oh me, oh my, you have no idea what my troubles are. Oh Lord. Anybody felt like that before? Yeah? We all can do that. But how you enter into something makes all the difference in the world. So you go into whatever you do, whatever you do, full-hearted, full-strength, full-on, in strength and in power. God's ability, not your ability. Amen? Amen. I love watching the youth leave this place. It reminds me when I got, when I got saved, I started a church in the Philippines in Manila. And we would dismiss the youth and two-thirds of the church would stand up and walk out. <clears throat> I'd have the elders come say, please don't just dis- don't dis- uh, let them go. You know, during the service, you know, let's have it on another day. I said, no, 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 that's great. That's great. You know, it's been like 30 years. I'm still in contact with some of the people, some of the youth that are now leaders of industry, that they're leading their nation. And it's such a wonderful thing. So when we see the youth get up, I mean, we need to rejoice that there are the youth in this house because they're going to be the world changers in their generation. Amen. Isn't that exciting? Amen. Well, this morning I endeavor to to bring what God put on the inside of me. Um, I've been doing this for a little while. I got saved in 1986. Uh, I I went, I had a Bible study. I was as weird and wild as you could imagine. And we were the type of people that would have a Bible study and hold hands. And we would feel something and we'd step off the carpet and we'd see footprints in the carpet and say, angels are here. I mean, we didn't think it was our own weight making an impression into the carpet, but that's how we were. And, you know, it was in this place I invited uh, somebody who was in our town that had just graduated from a Bible school. I knew nothing. I knew absolutely zero. Matter of fact, it's so funny. My first secretary, she became my first secretary because when I was at Rama, the professors were teaching about Noah's Ark and the rainbow, and I had no idea what they were talking about. So she would stay after class with me and she would explain. All. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So I'm, I'm kind of like a work in progress. I started that way. And 35 years later, I'm still that way. I'm a work in progress. Amen. Are you a work in progress? Amen. So I went to, I had this Bible study and, and uh, in, I'd gone home after the Bible study and I had a, had a dream. And in this dream, I saw myself packing up. And my mom walks into the room because I had just got out of the military and I was staying at my mom and dad's house. My mom comes in, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to Bible college. And I'd never heard of this Bible college, never heard of Kenneth Hagin. I, I, you know, I was so late in my applying for my application that instead of waiting to, to receive the letter that says, you know, you've been accepted, I just packed my truck and drove 2,400 miles to go to Ramah because I expected Kenneth Hagin to know that I was coming. <clears throat> so, of course, when I got there and I wasn't accepted because I hadn't been saved long enough, I needed to talk to Kenneth Hagin. 
Kenneth Hagin, you need to know that God sent me here. I had a vision. Right? Had a vision. I was one of those weird and wild people. So, of course, I got there and Kenneth Hagin didn't want to talk to me. But I got to talk to the new uh, dean of of students, uh, Tony Cook. And Tony said, well, you know, Scott, maybe God's brought you here, you know, just to prepare you, to get you ready for next year. Get your finances in order and all of this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, okay, that sounds good, but nope, that's not it. So I had a little cry, and I thought, I just drove 2,400 miles, and now they don't want me here. What am I, God, what, what's going on? 30 minutes later, Tony calls me on the phone and says, Scott, I need to talk to you. And so we set up a meeting. You know, I just at such peace. I knew that's where I was supposed to be. Um, I almost forgot about the meeting because he called me on a Thursday, and he wanted to meet on a Monday. And he said, tell me your, your testimony. So I shared my testimony. He said, well, listen, I don't claim to hear God 100% all the time. He says, but when I spoke to you, God spoke to me and told me that I needed to get you into Ramah and that there were places that you were supposed to go and people that you were supposed to meet. Amen. And you might, might be in a similar situation where, you know, you're just winging it. You're just every day. You're a day by day. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to figure the, the plan of God out. But I want you to know God has everything in order. And he will move heaven and earth to put you where you're supposed to be. The one thing I've learned after 35 years is that many times we're so anxious, we miss what God is wanting to do. So I'm going to encourage you today just to relax. Look at your neighbor and say, relax. Husbands, don't tell your wives, relax. I've also learned that's not a good thing. Just relax and be who you are. But you don't have to be like me. You don't want to be like me. You want to be like you. Because God has fearfully and wonderfully made you who you are supposed to be. Amen? The anointing of God, the anointing of God is not on who we pretend to be. It's on who we are. God's looking. I love what you said. It's such a great thing about the communion. He wants to remember the life, not just the death. How many churches remember the death of our Lord Jesus and they have that sourpuss face, you know, crying in tears and all that stuff because Jesus is still on the cross. But he wants us to remember the life, the life that he lived for us and what that life represented, what it meant. I, you know, I love John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I love 17. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. Amen? Life is what we're looking for. So everything that we do, we look at it from a position of strength because you have the law of life working in your behalf. The law of life, the creator of all life is standing on your side. He's there to help you. He's there to assist you. He's there to clear the way for you. Whatever seems like a mountain and seems impossible, God's going to clear it and level it so that you're able to walk right right through. And if he doesn't clear the mountain, he'll show you a way around it. Amen? That's the life of faith. That's the life that we live in Jesus' name. Everybody stand on your feet with me, if you would, please. I think it's always good to pray before we enter into the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you this morning, we honor you, and we thank you for this great house. Not every house is a great house, 
But this is a great house. This is a house that the word is put first. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, the the Lord says. So this is a house that is built upon a foundation that is solid and sure. And Father, there is a necessity in our nation for things to be solid and sure. There is a spirit that is in this age, Father, that is trying to cause chaos and trying to be a disruptor. But Father, in this house, we will not allow it. We will put our feet down into the ground and we will stand against all the wiles of the enemy in Jesus' name and we will declare the word of God and that word will work because you never fail. So whatever our situations are, Father, I thank you they're at hand and you're dealing with them because we surrender them to you. And we declare that this is an established house. This is a house that will endure. This is a house that will survive. This is a house that will thrive. And I see many people being raised up and going out and doing likewise and going out and establishing and going out and being used into the highways and the byways. It's not about the platform. It's about what happens outside of this place. So the people are equipped and we thank you for it. So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your presence. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming. Working amongst us, teaching us, leading us, guiding us, setting us free. In the spirit of our minds, sometimes we get overwhelmed because of things that influence us. Who we yield our members to, we become servants of. And unwillingly, sometimes because of society and culture, we begin to steer towards some of the things that they're saying and doing. But cleanse us, Father. Cleanse us from all of that so that we can be free to see you as you are, free to worship you, free to honor you, free to express all that you want to do. So I pray today, Father, in love and and with all respect, Father, that you make my tongue as a pen of a ready writer. Help me. Help me, Father, communicate in Jesus' name everything that you want to say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you as you sit. Look at a neighbor that you haven't spoken to today and say, I'm glad you are in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to start in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. Something I've had in my heart for, for quite a while when Pastor Joel asked me to speak, by the way. I know you're going to be watching sometime. Hi, Pastor Joel. We're praying for you. We're believing for great things. And when he's gone out, we've gone out with him, right? He's, he's an extension of, of our giving, extension of our faith. And we're believing for protection. We're believing for great things to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. So when he asked me to, to minister, I knew exactly what it is that I was supposed to minister. So... We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. We're going to start there. But we're going to hover around this area for a little while. I've got a couple of things I want to say, but we're going to start in verse 10. Are you there? For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I want to ask you this one question I have. How many of you are involved in ministry? And I'm not saying you're a five-fold minister, but you, you're involved in ministry in some way. Many of you are. 
How many of you have been in the past involved in ministry in some way? Okay. How many of you believe at some point in your life you're going to be involved in ministry? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see there's a level of the word that is in this place where you are receiving. This is your training. You don't have to go to Rhema. This can be the place that God trains you. I speak to pastors all the time. They've not gone to Bible school, but they are in the ministry, ministering in places, and they're doing an incredible work, but they've gone through a lot of things. I'm saying, listen, that's your training. It's about applying the word, and in this place, you get the word, but it's taking that word and going out and applying it in your life. And I just want to say to you, I felt the Lord very strongly say to me this. There are people that are here that I want them to know that I see what they have done for me. I see the work that they have done. Paul actually says, God is not unrighteous. Paul's saying, it's an unrighteous act for God to ignore what you've done. And God's not that way. Some of you have been involved in ministry. Maybe some people that are watching have been involved in ministry. Maybe they're not here because they were in a ministry and they're just burnt out. They're tired. They've been hurt. You know, there's a lot of people that have fallen away because the Bible says that a deferred heart makes one sick. So they've had vision, they've had dreams, they've wanted to be involved in ministry, they believed that God was going to do something incredible, and it didn't happen the way that they thought that it was going to happen. And so they've allowed themselves, say themselves, they've allowed themselves to become discouraged. And sometimes people give up and quit because they're just so discouraged or so overwhelmed. This is why I'm saying to you that whatever we do, we need to approach it in a position of strength. Even if you're discouraged, you need to do something to stir yourself up, to encourage yourself. Look what David did in Ziklag. He encouraged himself. So many things had happened. His children were gone. His wife was gone. His, His village was burned and gone. And yet he encouraged himself. When you are walking with God, when you are following Him, you have many opportunities. I love love what Brother Hagin used to say. You know, I haven't had a headache since 1936. I've had many opportunities to have a headache, but I've never accepted it. You're going to have opportunities to accept discouragement, but I want you to understand that you are in a place and in your life, in this physical building around these people, and in your life where you have an opportunity to become discouraged. And it's in that discouragement that the enemy will come in and he'll paint all kinds of pictures and he'll, he'll lie to you and he'll say things to you that are not true. They look true, but they're not true. And you need to get back onto the position of strength where you say, no, 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 no. I'm not weak. I'm not poor. I'm not discouraged. I'm not failing. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm going forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Nothing can stop us if we, if we behave that way. So God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you show towards His name in that you have ministered to the saints and continue to minister. I think there's a pause point right here that I want you to kind of think about. Your heart. Gauge your heart. Figure out where you are. If there's an area where you feel discouraged, you need to get rid of it because that's an enemy. It's an enemy. Tiredness is an enemy. I'm weary, and it's an enemy. It's coming in to steal your strength. Sometimes you feel tired physically, but actually you're tired spiritually, and it feels like a physical tiredness. 
But you need to stir yourself up. How do we do that? We pray in the Spirit, don't we? Pray in other tongues. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. When I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, I'm imagining my battery, my power station recharging. I'm I'm rebooting. I'm strengthening. I'm connecting with the God of all universes. The creator of all things. I'm plugging into Him and He's filling me. Amen? So you continue to do it, continue to do it, continue to do it. You'll never get what you need if you don't follow. You'll never get what you need if you don't listen. You'll never achieve the dream that you have if you don't keep it in front of you. Because in order for you to do what God's called you to do, man, it's going to take everything. I was invited several years ago to a church, many thousand people. I was there. I was actually there just to receive. And the pastor says, Scott, you know, 30 minutes before the service, will you share today? Will you, will you give a message? I'm thinking, okay, instant in season. What, what do I got? What do I got? I'm going through the Rolodex in my brain. And, he, and then he says, will you share what it takes to fulfill the plan of God? I think, crap, I don't have one of those. <laughs> but it was so good that the Holy Ghost was there. Because as soon as I knelt down to pray, it was like, bam, 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 bam. This is what I want you to share. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, you don't want to hear what I want to tell you. You want to hear what God has to say. Right? So in order for you to fulfill the plan of God, let me share it with you. I'm glad you asked, brother. It's going to take, you know what? Everything. It, this sister knows. It's going to take everything. Everything. Heart, soul, mind, strength, attention. It's going to take everything. But he said this. If you're going to fulfill the plan of God, you're going to have to be willing to look like a fool. You're going to have to be willing to be misunderstood. You're going to have to be willing to stand alone. In every situation in our life, faith is easy because it's the same. The same faith that saved you is the same faith that will heal you is the same faith that will prosper you. Right? So... In all of those areas, you've got to be willing to look like a fool. When you give your resources and you say, God, I'm strapped. Wait, you've got a good income. Why are you strapped? It's because I'm sowing. To the world, it looks like you're foolish. Why are you investing your money? Why aren't you putting things away? Hey, listen, I am. I'm sowing into the kingdom. I'm sowing in the kingdom. And it's the best investment I can make. Where else do you get some 30, 60, and 100 fold? Nowhere, nowhere. And listen, I, I'm maximum. I'm going for maximum. I, I'm not satisfied with 30. I'm not, if I get 30, it's great. If I get 60, it's great. If I get 100, it's great. I'm going for the max, whatever it is. But that max de- is determined based on the condition of my heart. If I roll in there and it's like, God, you know, I really want this washer and dryer, but I'm going to give it to you. Take it. And God's sitting there, and he's trying to get it out of your hands, and you're pulling it, and he's pulling it, and you're pulling it. Maybe that's only 30-fold return. But when you give it, and you become a professional bucket plunker, and that offering bucket comes by, and you just happily plop it into that bucket, who knows what could happen? Amen? Amen. God's not unrighteous to forget your labor of love that you have shown towards his name. Amen. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's got you. He'll take care of everything that you have need of. 
Verse 11 says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Remember the word hope here. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Listen, I just don't want to be following somebody, right? Unless there's something at the end. I want to inherit or obtain something for my effort. Now, we give to the Lord and all of that stuff. We understand that. We give without wanting anything in return. That's all spiritual and sounds good. But, you know, we're deter- we already know that. That's already, you know, we've canceled all of that stuff out because we already know that. But now we're on purpose. We're sowing on purpose. We're serving on purpose. We're acting on purpose. If I'm going to be up early in the morning and I'm going to pray... Because I need healing. I, at the end, I want to be healed. Amen? I don't need somebody to say, Well, brother, maybe this time wasn't God's will. Maybe there's something that you need to suffer in order to be obedient. I had family members. I would got all excited about Rhema and what Kenneth Hagin was teaching me. And I would try and teach them about healing. And my grandfather was sick and dying of cancer. And I'd bring him... Kenneth Hagin's ministry on VHS back then. And he, my, my grandfather talked about the patience of Job and how Job suffered. But you know, we don't have to be that way. We don't have to have the patience of Job. I mean, I feel sorry. One of the first people I want to meet in heaven is Job. I want to apologize for all the bad sermons preached about him. I mean, he, the theologians say the longest that that event went on was about nine months, three, six, nine months. It wasn't forever and a day. Patience of Job. God's trying to teach me something. You know what God's trying to teach us is faith. How to live by faith. How to live by faith. How to live by faith. For when, in verse 13, God promised to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by a greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. You know what that scripture, look at verse 16, says to me? God said it, and that settles it. When God couldn't, couldn't swear by anyone greater than himself, the promise that he made to Abraham, he said, that settles it. It's done. He said, I'm going to promise to bless you. I'm going to promise to prosper you. I'm going to promise to make your name great, give you a seed. And God did it. When you have the word of God, the spirit of faith says, when God said it, that settles it. When we follow other people, God wants you to follow their faith, not follow their personality. You follow a person's faith and you see the spirit of faith working. And that's what you say, hey, that's what I want. I want that same spirit of faith. This person is obtaining the promise that God had made to them. We go back up here to verse... Twelve. 
That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? But hope is such an important element to your faith. You know, we can say it like this. Hope is a blueprint. Hope is a diagram. It's a schematic. It's a, it's a user manual, right? So when you have hope, it's so important. Paul's saying to them, listen, thank you for your service. Follow people. Rub shoulders with people who are obtaining the promises that I've made. Look at Abraham as an example. He said, but what we want for you is for you to receive the hope, the full assurance of hope until the end. Many of us, because we grew up in in churches or we grew up in places, you know, the whole visualization thing is almost like taboo. I mean, if you say the word fantastic, it's like, oh my God, they said a witch word. To visualize. Now it's becoming more popular. We're understanding it more from a business perspective. But in the church sometimes, we think about this visualization and we don't know how to do it. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it's challenging to to visualize certain things. But God wants you to begin visualizing what he's called you to do. He wants you to have a blueprint, an owner's manual. I mean, you're the owner of your life. You know, as you surrender it to the Lord Jesus, you need to have a manual to know how it works. The spirit of faith works the same way all the time in everything. So if we can learn the spirit of faith, we'll learn how to operate. Amen? So hope is extremely important to our lives. God wants us to have this hope, this diagram, this blueprint working. Now, many times we wing it, many times we don't understand it, but in order for you to fulfill what God's called you to do, you have to repeatedly go back to it. You have to go back to that hope and see it afresh and anew so that you can visualize. I mean, you won't know where you're going, you won't know if it's working properly if you don't re, you know, look at it often. You've got to have this hope that is alive and working on the inside of you. And this is what Paul is talking to these people about. We want the full assurance of hope working on the inside of you. I want you to begin visualizing this ministry. Visualizing your place in this ministry. Visualizing what I've called you to do. You know, oftentimes people get discouraged because they don't know. They, they you know, vacillate in this place where they're just back and forth. and don't, They don't really know. They come to church, but they're not really satisfied. They're not really plugged in because they don't really know what to do. They don't know what they're called to do or if they're called to do anything. Every one of us has a calling. Every one of us has something to contribute. And you need to find out for yourself, what is my contribution to this body and to the kingdom of God? Oftentimes, as a pastor, I'd have people come to me and they'd say, Pastor, you know, what am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? And, you know, I'd look at them and say, how the heck am I supposed to know? I don't know what you're supposed to do. That's your job. You're supposed to figure out what you're called to do. I help guide you, but I can't tell you what you're called to do. Right? If you're in a place or been in a place, and this is kind of why I'm talking about this, I love, the, one of my favorite scriptures is Acts chapter, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, how God has, you know, 
taken from every tribe, tongue, nation of people. He's pre-appointed our boundaries and the habitations of our dwellings. Isn't that awesome? And that's a blessing. It's like I used to say when I go back to the States after ministry. I say, you know, the, one of the greatest things about America is the buffets. You get to eat so much food. But one of the worst things about America is the buffets because you eat too much food. God has brought us from all different cultures, all different teachings, all different places. Do you know that it was the traditions of men that made the power of God of no effect? And sometimes some of the things that we've heard when we grew up have stuck with us. Raise your hand if that's true. Can you? Yeah, it's true. Sometimes things that we were taught that we heard, I mean, they were, they, I don't want to just say that they were wrong, but they don't line up with Scripture. And so we've guided our life based on that assumption or based on that illustration, you know. And a lot of preachers, you know, they evangelistically speak. They kind of stretch things to a point to where it's like, uh, I don't know. But the word is the word, and you can prove it. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And God is reestablishing your life. And sometimes there's this, you know, like when a gear is all rusty and it, you can imagine it wanting to turn. It's really difficult to turn, but it's not turning and it's hard and pieces are breaking off and rust is coming. Sometimes it's like that when we get into a place where the word is preached because we are dominated by the traditions that we were taught or the things that were taught to us in our traditions. If I'm not screaming when I'm praying, Oh, Lord! Thank you, Jesus! If I'm not doing that, then you're really not praying. I was doing a men's meeting one time, and I'd forgotten something. I ran up. It was in a retreat. I called it a nun factory. I went upstairs to the room I was staying in, and I got what I, I think it was a Bible or a pen or something. And as I was coming back downstairs, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Because these guys are in there praying and they're just yelling and screaming, which is great. Pray on. But he said, you know, I'm not deaf. So in order for you to contact God, you don't have to be screaming and yelling all the time. Sometimes it's just still and it's quiet and it's meditative and it's contemplative and it's all of that. And that's okay. That's right. Hallelujah. There's a lady being set free right over here in the corner. Amen. Because our traditions tell us that you've got to be loud and you've got to be boisterous and you've got to be this. Now, I'm an American and I, I, you know, you might think I'm loud and boisterous. I don't feel like I am. Maybe I am a little bit, but that's my culture. You have a culture, right? And these are the things that we surrender to the Lord. In order for us to be able to receive the things that he wants to get to us, We've got to follow him. Now, when I saw this, the word follow, we know from different translations can say imitate. We're to imitate those who have obtained promises through faith and patience. Following. Thank you. We follow the people that we respect. You know, Hebrews 13, I think in verse 7, it talks about following our leaders. And aren't you grateful that we have leaders that we can follow? People that are leading us by the word of God, teaching us the spirit of God. This is a dream. This has been a dream of many. You know, in the last days, there's going to be a joining of two movements, a movement of the the word of God and a movement of the spirit of God. And we're dwelling in in a home and in a place where both are working together. Aren't you grateful? 
So we want to follow that. We want to imitate. We want to do what they've done to get to where they are. Many times we want what other people have, but we don't want to do what they've done to get to where they are. And the only way you'll obtain what, what they've obtained is if you do what they did to get where they are. So we have to follow. But the thing is this, I want you to understand, as we follow them, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You can't follow pastors unless you're following Christ. You have to put Jesus at the head. You have to allow him to speak to your heart. Coming into a home where people are great teachers and great ministers, it's easy to have the doctor-patient syndrome. You're the doctor, I'm the patient, and I'm just sitting, I'm wanting to hear what you have to say. But God only wants to say these things to you, and he'll only continue saying these things to you if you apply what's being said. If you'll take what is being said, and you'll put it into your life, and you'll say, I don't know how this works, but this is what I'm going to do. I don't know about you, but when I first went to Raymond, I knew nothing. and never heard of Kenneth Hagin, never read a book, didn't know anything about it. They started teaching me about faith. It just made me mad. I got angry. I was like, oh, I don't like this. This I feel like I'm faking it. Smith Wigglesworth would stand up in, in his ministry, in his message, he'd say, faith is an act. 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 That's all he'd said. Faith is an act. Because he wants you to understand, it is an act. You're acting as though you are wealthy. Because you're poor, you don't want to continue being poor. You don't want to dress up. Act like you're wealthy. What does a wealthy person act like? What does he look like? How does he behave? Behave that way. Eventually, your actions and your faith will match and you will become what it is that God has for you to be. If you're sick, get up out of bed. Don't sit there and cry and moan and, and, you know, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But do everything in your strength to get out of bed and walk the floor and call yourself strong. Amen? Amen. So we saw through, through some of these scriptures. I want you to, going to this message, actually to read it in context, I saw some stuff and I just want to share this with you. So please... If you'll go with me up to verse 11 of chapter 5. I'm going to read a little bit, but I'm going to meet you at 11. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he had suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing... What? That you are dull of hearing. I remember Brother Hagin ministering. And there were many things that he wanted to say, but he wouldn't say them. I couldn't figure I just kept thinking, just say it. Just say it. Come on, just I want to. Sometimes, God's not able to communicate what he wants to communicate because we're not in a position. We haven't positioned ourselves to hear what he has to say. You know, God doesn't cast his pearl before swine. God doesn't say things just for the sake of filling a gap. God says things because he has something to say to you. And it's really the attitude of our heart, the condition of our heart, of our lives, that makes the difference in how much God wants to say. 
Paul says, listen, I want to say more, but you guys are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he that is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So when we practice the word of God, we come from a position of just being a baby. It's okay to be a baby. It's just bad to stay one. You've got to grow. I mean, you come into a place like this, the word is ministered, the word is preached. You've got to stir yourself up and say, God, I'm dissatisfied. Your dissatisfaction isn't about me. It's not because you don't like the way I dress, you don't like my culture. It's because you're not happy. Sometimes we like to blame other people and say, well, we're not going to that church because it's not big enough. We're not going to that church because there's nowhere to sit. We're not going to that church because they've got signs on the wall. And that's wrong. Who knows? But that's a sign of your dissatisfaction, not mine. How you receive, very important. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that the the hungry soul, even the bitter things are sweet. But those that are full and fat and lazy and have just sat there, even the honeycomb is bitter. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I'm just going to read verse 9 and 6. Chapter 6. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. I started this message in telling you how God appreciates your service and how you've served his name and you've served him. And now you know where he's coming from. There's a group of people that become fat and dissatisfied. They became lazy in their attention and they stopped following Jesus. And, 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 And Paul's saying, you know, here's the description of them. But... That's not you. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not you. I mean, he's not talking to you, right? Maybe. No. No, he's not talking to you. No, where's that that spirit of faith I talked about? Where's that strength I talked about? No, he's not talking about me. He's talking about him. He's not talking about me. Your spirit of faith says, no, that's not me. got to get through something go to matthew chapter 13 if you would uh, yeah if you would please the disciples said to jesus jesus why do you talk to these guys in parables verse 11 and verse 10 matthew chapter 13 in verse 10 ask jesus why do you talk to these guys in parables and jesus said to them Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but not unto them. But wait a second. Jesus isn't a respecter of persons. He came to save everybody. But why is he differentiating between them and you? Why? 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 
For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. Therefore I say, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they see and do not, and hearing they hear uh, not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing you hear Uh, you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. In verse 15, listen to this. For this people's heart is waxed gross. This people, why why is he talking to them in parables and and not his, listen, his disciples? You know what a disciple is? It's a disciplined follower. Why is he talking to them in riddles, in parables, in sections, It's because their hearing is dull. Verse 15, For this people's heart is waxed gross. It's turned fat, heavy. And their ears are full of hearing, and their eyes, they have closed. We become dull. And we, we, we have closed our eyes. I've chosen to not listen. I've chosen to not choose the good thing. I've chosen not to discipline my life and follow Jesus. And that's why I'm not hearing. That's why I'm not getting anything. I want to stir you up this morning. I want you to understand that God has a part and you have a part. God has a part and you have a part. If you stir yourself up, you'll get everything that you're supposed to get. Even if it's a dead, dry, dull service. I've been in so many places in the world. I mean, Pakistan, and they clang these little pieces of metal, and that's their music for worship, and it just drives me batty. But at the same time, I've had to connect with the Lord. You can be in a place and it's not to your liking, but it's where you're supposed to be. And in that place, even the bitter thing is sweet. Why? Because the condition of my heart, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm searching. I'm looking. Jesus, where are you? I want to be in a place where, you know, you can't come into this building and not have your needs met. You're not going to slide into the building. Not because God's trying to expose you or trying to harm you or embarrass you. But because God is here, He's going to heal you. You're not going to slide in and, you know, this is what I did last night. And this is my lifestyle. And this is what I had. And this is what I do. You're not going to slide in here and God not say something to you. It's not my job to confront you and convict you and condemn you. No, I don't do that. All I can do is say, listen. The Lord is here. Let him work on you. Let him show you. He's got great things in store for you. I'm persuaded that you're going to make it. I'm persuaded that you're going to fulfill the plan of God for your life. So Jesus said it here. Now, everybody's quoting Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. I've, people ask me, where are you from? Where are you from? And I tell them, Cheadle Hume. I've just, I've refused the accent. I've been here since 1996. I left for a few years. God brought me back. I tried escaping again for a couple of years, and God brought me back. I was like, oh my God, now what? Now what? But I refuse the accent. 
Amen. I forgot to do something. Can we do something as we're going into this? Okay, I feel. This is my wife. Yay. This is. Now, you say her name, Trilse. You got to roll the R. Let's try it. Trilse. Trilse. Okay. She's from Peru. She's lovely. She's beautiful. Uh, I love her very much. And my son. <laughs> Woohoohoo! <clears throat> so we're six months and, what, two weeks now pr- pregnant? So we're in, the, we're in the, not really the home stretch, but the last third stretch. And we're so excited. We're so excited. You know, we talk about faith. Um, 25 years ago, I was preaching in a conference in London. Me and another, a prophet, she was brought in as a prophetess. And uh, she calls me up in the service and she says, you know, do you have a son? I said, no. Don't, don't have a son? Not looking for a son? Satisfied? That's it. And she says, because I see a little boy wrapped around your legs. So when she got pregnant, 25 years later, God brought this word back up to me. I'm thinking, oh my God. You know, how many times have we forgotten what the Lord had promised? How many times have we just simply forgotten? I've had that happen with things before where the Holy Spirit say, don't forget, I was believing for a watch. Don't forget about your watch. I sowed a watch. Don't forget about your return. Don't forget about your watch. doesn't mean anything, but that's how my faith was building and growing. Tangible things helped me develop my faith. So, thank God for my wife. Thank God for my son. We're excited. Now, you're a part of it. You have to pray for us. You know, we're going to be up here boohooing with, you know, when we do a baby dedication. And when you do that, I just want you to know that means that you are a part of raising this child as well. Praying for us. I love it in the Philippines. You stand up there and people come up and they pin money on your shirt. So, <clears throat> nappies are expensive. So, feel free. I just want you to follow the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, this is where everybody's quoting from. Isaiah chapter 6. I love this. This is, again, one of my favorite things. I want to be in a place where the ministers cannot minister by reason of the cloud. I want the Spirit of God to be in this place. I don't care about my message. I don't care about my delivery. I don't care about any of that. All I care about is giving God the ability to work and move in your life. Because he has such a great plan for you. You can't even comprehend what it is that he's doing. And sometimes it's good that you don't because you get in the way. But the fact that you get to know him, you follow him, I understand him. There are things I can't verbalize. There are things that I can't completely comprehend. But I know him. And I know that's him. And I'm following him. Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah, uh, when he died... Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two he covered his face. With two he covered his his, uh, feet. With two he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. Would you stand with me? Holy, 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 say that with me. Holy, 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 
holy, holy, holy. Right now in this place as you say holy, imagine, visualize chains being broken, life changing, debts being canceled, sickness being healed. Position. Some of you are looking for God to put you in the position that you have held in your heart. God, as you sing holy, holy, holy and worship Him, He'll begin doing this work that He said that He would do. And time doesn't matter because He's not a God of time. Conditions don't matter because conditions don't matter. God is able to do everything that He said that He would do. And when they sang, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with your glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Sing, holy, 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 until the posts move in your house. Until the disease leaves your body. Until the poverty leaves your life. In Jesus' name, holy, Holy, say it by faith. You may not like it. You may feel uncomfortable in this Baptist church. But you need to say holy, holy, holy. Say it until God does it. Say it until God does it. Because there was a condition of the heart of the people. And God was doing something great. As we continue to read here, it says, Then I, woe is me, he said, Isaiah. For I am undone before I am a man unclean with unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You only know your sin when you stand in the presence of God. Sometimes you don't even recognize sin is error. It's not just that you are a murderer. You make mistakes. And you have to regularly stand in the presence of God and let Him show you your mistakes. In this country, one thing that I've learned is we don't like to admit our mistakes. Nobody, they think it's vulnerability that somebody will think something's wrong. We come from cultures where you have to be strong. Come on, man up, son. But in the house of God is where you become vulnerable. And you begin crying, holy, holy, holy. And the Lord begins speaking to you and showing you what you're supposed to do. This was, I'll close here. Isaiah was interceding in behalf of the people that God had sent him to minister to. That's why Isaiah said, I feel like I have a man of unclean lips. He was interceding for his nation. I'm going to ask you, get in the presence of God. Find out what God is saying to you. Stand in the gap for other people. But for this house, this is the place that God brought you. Like it or not, you're here. I may not be here again, but I'm here today. And I'm saying to you, you are here. Put your feet in the ground. Establish this house. Because there's so much more that God wants to do. There are things that he puts in in the head of this church. The pastors of this church that need to come out. And they're going to come out because of you. They're not here pastoring because they're such great, wonderful people, which they are. They're here because you prayed. They're here because someone cried out, God, we need a church in Manchester. There have been people that have been prophesying about a word and a spirit-based church for decades. 
Let's see it happen. Amen. If you're in here this morning, I just want to take a second if it's okay. If you're in here this morning and say, you know, I feel like I've been run down. I feel like I don't have the same energy. I feel like I've gotten myself discouraged, allowed my eyes to close and my heart to become fat. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, Scott, this really had something to do with me this morning. Will you raise your hand? A couple honest people. Listen, I know that there are more people that are in here that have been in that way. If you're in this place, I want you to respond. I want you to raise your hand and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be honest. I don't care who's around me. I don't care if my husband, my wife. I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable. Are you here this morning? Raise your hand, would you please? I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Would you step out of your chair and come forward and allow me to lay hands on you? Because I want to distribute whatever energy and power. Even if you didn't raise your hand, please make your way to the front. Because I am going to distribute the energy, the power, whatever it is that you need, that God has communicated with me. I want to share that with you because I want you to become free today. In Jesus' name.